This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Asked to talk about uh, studies of glucose control, uh, and the suggestion is that uh, we have uh, had the wrong target, and uh, I think uh, um, we have had the wrong target. Uh, I have no financial conflicts of interest in this uh, subject. The original data uh, rapidly accumulated to uh, eight large scale English language RCTs and many, many other uh, RCTs. Uh, studying insulin, intensive insulin therapy in adults. And the, the key study, the progenitor study of all this, the study that drove the interest and all of the succeeding uh, enthusiasm, uh, was studied by the Leuven Group, Dr. Vandenberg's the PI, uh, published in the New England in 2001, published in the same issue of the New England Journal as the River Study. Quite an issue that was. I would say that there are Perhaps uh, several wrong targets. I would say that uh, the first wrong target is uh, the surfeit of RCTs. Here we have a very large number of RCTs, and except for the uh, Leuven one, uh, surgical ICU, uh, essentially, in terms of their primary outcome, primary analysis on mortality, they almost uniformly show that tight glucose control does not impact on mortality and that tight glucose control causes variable degrees of hypoglycemia. This all stopped in the adult world at least with the uh, NICE sugar study and the NICE sugar study there were over 6,000 patients in several countries an enormous undertaking. Mixed ICUs so uh, our last speaker spoke about the importance of treating each patient individually. It's a key issue. But if you're going to recommend a therapy like aspirin, for example, that's going to be used for everybody, then in those cases, you need to have studied it in everybody. Otherwise, you don't have generalizability. So whilst you lack specificity and you lack insight from this study, what you absolutely gain is generalizability. Unfortunately, the generalizability was that, in general, it causes harm. Does it cause much harm? Well, you know, a whole lot of harm, I suppose, except if you're one of the people who did badly. Uh, as a population level, the excess mortality was 2.6%. That's 2.6% of that study population. People in critical care are a little US focused. Well, it's a big country. You know, it's a good starting point. If you imagine 5 million patients in ICUs in the US, if you imagine 20% of them are mechanically ventilated in adult ICUs. Now, in other countries, in Canada and Australia and the UK and Europe, the percent of ventilated patients is infinitely higher than that, more like 85%. Hard to get into an ICU in other countries, but the US is very different. Nonetheless, that means if tight glucose control is truly generalizable to all medical surgical ICU patients who were ventilated, then the adoption of that practice caused, or would have caused, excess mortality of about 2.6% among those patients.
How big a number is that? That's 20% of 5 million, that's a million, 2.6. And very leery of extrapolating with any kind of precision. You've heard about the 100,000 lives saved and the 5 million lives saved campaign and all those, and you look at the math behind those, they're take your mother's age and multiply it by your father's height and divide by the height of your dog or something, and these are random numbers. But what you do know is if the nice sugar study is true, implementation of tight glucose control caused, or would have caused, many hundreds of thousands of lives to be lost. Here's a list of all of the uh, um, randomized trials. Greensdale and colleague published these, medical, surgical, mixed and whatnot, and essentially it's flatly negative. What were the consequences of the original study? There were two consequences. The first was a profusion of randomized trials trying to replicate the Leuven results. Now, some people think the more randomized trials, the better. You know, if you have a good question and it's worth asking, then it's a good thing to do. However, the, the study was based on very dubious rationale. The studies were consistently negative, and the studies I'm not sure if I'm going to explode or something. Right? No, somebody doesn't like me. But, uh, well, certainly it's not my phone. No, it's, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'll shout above it. And there was a consistent signal of hypoglycemia. And we'll talk about whether this is a good thing or not in children. The next consequence was one of guidelines. And we'll talk about them a little later. I've said that the first wrong target, I thought, was multiple, multiple trials trying to replicate it. And the second wrong target was the immediate adoption of guidelines enforcing the practice. They were paralleling the trials that were seeing whether the practice was good or not. Neither, in I think the reasonable people's opinion, were actually valid. And the trials were mandated by the vast bulk of the agencies involved in guideline um, uh, mandates such as the JCO, the IHI, Surviving Sepsis Campaign, American Thoracic Society, Veterans Administration, Cooperative, and you name it, and all of the endocrine societies. And indeed, physicians and clinicians and hospitals were held to a standard of care based on the single study from Leuven. And this is despite study after study after study failing to replicate it. The next target and all of that was very nicely put in in the revised talk. But there you go. See, I saved a lot of bother. The third wrong target, I think, is nutrition. While the studies focused on glucose, that was the primary intervention, co-interventions, probably with nutrition, seemed to be, in fact, a whole lot more important. Is that true? Look here, total non-protein calories. The Vandenberg study, way over 1,600 uh, per 24 hours. N of the nice sugar, it's practice across Australasia and Canada, far less than that, 1,200. What about enteral versus parenteral calories? On day four in the Vandenberg study, about 20% of calories were enteral, whereas about 80% of the calories that the patients were going to get were enteral in the nice sugar study. And what about the rate of introduction of nutrition? In the Vandenberg study, you see here that on day two, 
about 75% of the maximum rate had been achieved, whereas in the United Sugar study on day two, about 60% of the maximum rate had been achieved. The wrong target, number four, the fourth wrong target, I think, is the control group. The control group is a really important issue. You can make a study look very good or very bad by having a very good or bad intervention or having a control group that simply is very different to the intervention. And so independent of how good or bad the control or the intervention is, the study may well be internally valid. Well, that's a necessity for you to make progress. But the external validity is primarily anchored to the control group. If the control group care is kind of like your care and the control group outcomes are kind of like your outcomes and the intervention makes the patients a whole lot better, that's an intervention that you should take very seriously. If, on the other hand, the control group interventions or the control group outcomes are nothing like your basic care, then probably the study is simply not relevant to your patient's population. Because the cardiac surgical group was the prime mover of the first Luton study, it's appropriate to look at the control group in that study and see how do they compare to the rest of the world. We go here to the northeast of England. That's an underprivileged part of England. I hope there's nobody here from the northeast of England. You probably, or maybe you don't, well, never mind. The Minister for Health at the time said that the reason there was so much coronary disease in the northeast of England was they ate too much fish and chips. And she might have been right. It's an underprivileged part of the world. It's National Health Service, which is very good, but it's not well resourced. And the rates of endemic disease, preventable disease, are high. So in the northeast of England, how do cardiac surgical centers perform? Here we have dots, mortality on the y-axis, and size of the number of patients on the x-axis. And each little red square represents a hospital. So here are the worst performers in an underprivileged part of the world. The worst performer here has a mortality of 3.8%. The average mortality in the northeast of England is 1.7%. The Leuven group, the best outcome with the intervention, intensive insulin therapy, was 2% mortality. But their control group mortality was 5%. Dr. Vandenberg has explained to me that this is unfair because they had very high Euro scores and they were sick, and indeed they were very sick. In Toronto General Hospital, over a five-year period, which is a quaternary referral centre like nothing else, only deals with high-risk cases. Domingo Aitasandera published a review showing that the five-year mortality for all comers for cardiac surgery was 1.1%. So that's the rest of the world. So if your mortality and your population mirror the Leuven group, then tight glucose control might have been good for you. If they do not, you've no business subjecting your patients 
to that therapy. And I submit you've not got much business subjecting your patients to an RCT. We'll randomize you to something that is completely irrelevant. The next wrong target, I think, is children. There are two key studies. One that does not look at tight glucose control per se, but gives very, very important lessons. That's the early incident therapy in very low birth weight babies. This is a study of premature infants who are on a feed and grow regimen. And of course, when you try to feed and grow neonates, they get hyperglycemia. And it's not associated with good outcomes. And a sensible study, in my mind, tried to maintain the calorie intake but prevent the adverse hyperglycemia. Their metabolism is simply not mature enough. Dr. Troster will explain that to us later. And what that showed here was that they didn't exactly achieve severe hypoglycemia, they just managed to lower the level modestly. And that, unfortunately, was associated with adversity. The conclusions in the abstract were that early insulin therapy offers little clinical benefit, may increase hypoglycemia, but they didn't add in the abstract, which is all anybody ever reads, is that it also doubled mortality. One way, it's kind of a snicker. Another way, that's a really serious thing. You may think, well, I can manage hypoglycemia. I can't manage dead kids. You know, that's a big, big deal. The second is the study by Dirk Glasslers and Dr. Vandenberg from Leuven. It's an important study published in The Lancet. The reason I believe that children are a bad target for studies trying to replicate the Leuven 1 study are as follows. The mortality in pediatric ICU is far lower than it is in adults. So no matter what, even if you've got a really good therapy, it's going to be so hard to show it. The second reason is you have to wonder what would be the mechanism of benefit? It could only benefit mortality if the mode of death was one that would be plausibly interrupted by glucose control. If a truck runs over your head and you're brought in brain dead, no amount of glucose control is going to save that child. If the child has some developmental problem and is palliated, no amount of glucose control is going to protect that child. So those are reasons why, unlike in the adult population, where you may think intercurrent sepsis, etc., could have caused excess death, could be ameliorated with tight glucose control. Here we had the worrisome instance of hypoglycemia, which was 25% for what they call modest, and 5% of the kids had severe hypoglycemia. They followed up this study with a paper in JAMA, it was editorialized by Rob Tasker. They suggested, in fact, that there was no worsening in neurologic outcome. And it is true, they did not detect a worsening in neurologic outcome. Dr. Vandenberg wrote a letter to the New England Journal, criticizing an editorial I wrote on the topic, and suggesting that, in fact, her study had proven that this was safe. The JAMA study just, just got by the reviewers, I guess. It proved nothing of the sort. 
the randomization in that study was clearly not equal. The adjusted and the unadjusted rates were very, very different. They're a sure sign of confounders. And so we responded, and that's that. Nobody with any experience of paediatric intensive care would reasonably ignore hypoglycemia. And if any group is good at treating it effectively, it would be the Leuven group. You could not hope to manage their skill because this is one thing they do very well. But you can't expect, they manage, I believe this, I believe they control glucose extremely well. They're extremely practiced. You cannot expect nursing units in other parts of the world where they maybe have two patients to one nurse, quite unlike Leuven, to replicate that degree of intensity of care. The second reason this is a problematic paper is it's simply not plausible. You ask, is it relevant? You look at the causes of death in your PICU and you say, are they plausibly prevented by glucose control? And what you have here is what's called neurological complications of deterioration or intractable ARDS or terminal weaning failure. I'm sorry, but we review our deaths very, very carefully and we could not plausibly relate deaths in our ICU to inadequate glucose control. In summary, I'd say there is a uncertain target, which would be how we should practice. And I think what we get from that, at least in the adult context, mirror this in the children maybe, is a byproduct, not an intended product, a byproduct of the nice sugar study. Because the control group in that study had excellent outcomes. They had gradual and enteral and low sugar containing feeds. But this is in fact modest control and maybe that's recommended. It's not zero control, it's not ignoring glucose. We suggest taking care with glucose sampling if you're going to do it, recognizing accuracies of your technique and using ranges that ensure that you are not aiming for very tight control. So I would suggest <clears throat> that there are several targets that were missed in the whole glucose control experiment. Number one, the effect size was implausible. Number two, far too many randomized trials tried to reproduce it, what I would say with a very dubious basis particularly given the irrelevancy of the control group in the first paper. The second issue, I think, is the guidelines that were targeted. What you'll notice when you go on the IHI website and the JCO website is that there's no trace of those old guidelines. At least with surviving sepsis, they're published in print. So at least there's an issue of integrity there. But to hold people accountable to guidelines that then disappear without a trace, that's dodgy. I think children are a very poor target for this, and that's not to say that studies such as Dr. Nod Kearney's uh, interoperative protection for specific indications, but for death prevention from all causes, it makes no sense in children. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.